Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back, baseball family. Again, we are here with Jim Edmonds, a former big leaguer, current TV analyst for the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, Jim, I got to tell you, the I mean, the catch, right? with the angels how does well, it feel to be known for one of the greatest if not the greatest catch in major league baseball like it's awesome <laughs> it's, so um, cool. it's uh it's pretty cool i i really think that um you know uh put it in perspective too is after i made the play i ran into willie mays the next year no way yeah and um so barry bonds introduces me to willie mays in the tunnel in a giant stadium it was a candlestick when both teams were still on the same side. And uh, he says, Jim Edmonds, this is Willie Mays. Well, you know, this is Godfather, whatever. And says, I heard you made some kind of catch. And <laughs> I was just like, uh, yeah, nice to meet you, you know. <laughs> but uh, it's kind of cool. You know, it's interesting. Um, every time around this year that, you know, the anniversary or you get some kind of uh, highlights and, you know, it's interesting. I think it's something that at least hasn't gone away with time. I mean, you know, there's so many good plays. Um, I, it's flattering. It really is. I mean, I, I think it was a pretty good catch. And, um, you know, there's there's others that are out there that are pretty good, too. And, you know, they're all different degrees of difficulty. Uh, just saw one the other night where the kid, I, I can't even think of where he was. He just got called up. I think he was in Milwaukee. And he dove and he literally hit the wall with his face oh, yeah, yeah. as he hit the ground. And so those kind of things, man, those are, those are gnarly. And just to be in, involved in that, I think is pretty cool. At least you have some kind of legacy and over time, you know, it's, the home runs go away a little bit unless you hit a big one. And uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. What happens in that moment? Does, does fight, you know, kind of your auto instinct take over? Is that something you're tracking the whole way? Um, is it a combination of both? Like what, how does that even take place? Yeah, you know, um, I learned at an early age that defense was just as important. And, uh, you know, I just caught, got caught shallow on a hanging curveball. And I, I think that the winning, tying run and winning run were on base. And even though it was in July, it was, or June, I think. What month are we in right now? Who June. knows? June, yeah. <laughs> Can't keep it straight. Um yeah. And I realized I was just like, if I don't catch this ball, the game's going to, you know, we're going to be losing or we're going to lose. And so I just took off and ran. And the way it was lofted in the air, I could keep, I turned the wrong way a little bit to get back. And I could remember it kind of tailing back over my head and I could see it because it was kind of coming straight down. You know, it's like if you're playing football, you can kind of watch the ball all the way. And even though you can tell it's going over, it can, you know, you can switch sides. And it's kind of what happened. I knew where it was going to be and knew how it was coming down and, just thought I'd take a chance and I made a play very similar to it in Venezuela um, two years prior. And so I was like, well, you know, I just got to catch this ball any way possible. And then when it hit my glove, all I could think of was do not let this pop out. 
because we just wasted. <laughs> you know, can you imagine if it rolled out? It would be oh. like it wouldn't even be the greatest catch never to be made. It would just never be on a, a show ever again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because didn't you so make that like, same like a similar catch in St. Louis as well? Um, well, there was a couple going back up against the wall, you know, or, or jumping on the wall, but yeah, I mean, I think that just basically I loved being able to go out there and and play defense because offense is so difficult. You know, it's, you're relying on a good pitch, hit a ball hard, no one being around on the field to catch it where defense is just you, you know, and it's just basically, I always tell the young guys now, it's just a want to, you have to want to play defense if you want to be good. So that's kind of the way I looked at it. I loved playing defense. Like, yeah. I I was always so nervous getting in the box, but man, we went out on yeah. defense. I was so much more comfortable. I loved Me it too. Yeah, well, my but... first year, my first year in Anaheim, full time. So my second year, Marcel Latchman said, "Hey, you know, you're a center fielder," and I started hitting like two thirty. And he said, "You keep playing defense. I'm not taking you out of the lineup." And so that gave me the confidence and gave me the the realization that this is just as important as hitting. And so that's why I kind of took that all in stride and stride and try to raise my game. That's awesome. It's awesome. Um, so you're Speaking talking of, about how, hold on, Brig. I, I want to yeah. tail on on something he said here about oh, right. a game in June, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes we hear, oh, it's just a game in May, it's just a game in April. Is there as much emphasis put on games in the first 50 games of the season mm-hmm. as there are the last 50 games of the season, or is there more urgency to win those in those last 50? I would think that around the league, I would say that the urgency comes up late. But in St. Louis, those the urgency is from day one. And I think that's what separates good teams from average teams is and the one thing that I did learn was, you know, you win that game in April, May, June that you don't have to win in September and October or September, um, because you've already taken care of it. And then that gives you that two or three extra game lead. And then when you get down the stretch, the teams that are younger and and, and less experienced don't know how to win those games. And so when they're trying to catch up, they're not um, able to keep it together for six months window. And so you take advantage of that too. So it's kind of like this edge that you have um, that Larusa taught us that, you know, hey, instead of going into extra innings and hoping the game ends, it's like going to extra innings, you know, you know trying to win and get it over with and, and pay attention to these things. And then in September, you're not going to be grinding it out with all the teams that are, are not as good as you because you've already put them you know, way back in the standings. So, yeah, I think in St. Louis and probably in a couple other places, the importance is winning all the time. Yeah, that's that's something we talk about too all the time is that like I feel like there's sometimes there's teams in, in April where they won't put in a pinch runner, yeah. you know, when, when they should. It's like that's that could be the difference between you making the playoffs and missing. Yeah. It gets frustrating as a fan sometimes. Well, yeah, and the fine line, I think the fine line with that too is also as, as we as fans get caught up in that when there might be the thought process as um, if I burn this guy now and we go to extra innings. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and mm-hmm. sometimes that's why they wait till they get to second base or, you know, why you see – you know, certain things I I'm still learning every day because of what the knowledge that we don't have watching, especially for us in the, in the booth. This other day it came up, uh, a story came up where we had an opportunity to, I think Albert was coming up third and they pinched hit the first two guys and it was either Gorman or Donovan. And I said, I would use Don, this guy on first, 
and no one out or one out and it's the winning run and i said gorman i said donovan then gorman and i went downstairs and ollie said no it's don it's gorman donovan because of this and i didn't realize but donovan hits the ball on the ground more often than gorman does that's one thing that we don't know and so they have those stats there and it was like a 15 percent difference chance that that donovan would hit a ball on the ground versus gorman and so they flipped the pinch hitting even though that you would think Gorman would give you a better at bat. Um, but he said, guy on base, Gorman, no guy on base, Donovan. And so just like that, I, I think that we as fans don't really understand how much is going into every decision. Yeah, that's awesome. It's kind yeah, of eye-opening awesome. for me that how much further it goes when you're down there. Even though if you're on the field, you understand it, but it's things you forget just watching casually. It's really cool to hear that you're – still learning about the game that you're still, you know, able to learn and engaged in it. I mean, because it is a lifelong thing, right? Both yeah. learning is a mentality, right? It's not just something we go and do. How have yeah. you taken that from the field to your current role as an analyst? Well, I just feel like those are the things you learn from talking to the manager or talking to people downstairs <clears throat> that, you know, you would only know if you have their information, but it's to me my job of basically um, just like what we were just talking about is to educate the fans on, you know, I know this is probably a great spot to pinch run, but if you burn this guy in the eighth inning, if they bring in so-and-so in the ninth, you don't have that pinch hitter, Um, you know, and, and very fair, very few times does that guy end up either coming around to score or getting thrown out because he can't run. So uh, yeah, there's sometimes it backfires, but I think the the thought process is always what's the next move unless it's right there bottom of the ninth and you're losing by a run. Yeah. Um, is there, I mean, you alluded to this, but it sounds like part of your role is to make the game more accessible to the fans in your current role right now. Is that, is that the angle you've been asked to take or is that something you've taken upon yourself? Um, well, I, you know, as an analyst, you're supposed to explain the game to the people at home and my thing is, I think you can see what's going on, right? So why am I explaining it? Um, and I think everyone watching games talks too much. So I feel like I sit back and wait for an opportunity. And sometimes it's just pointing things out. And sometimes there's a teaching moment. Um, it's funny. I talked to John Jay yesterday. He played the outfield for a long time. And he was doing college games. And we were talking about doing TV. And he said, you know, I found it was really interesting when you get a teaching moment. So you can explain why, when, why, how, what, whatever. And I thought, you know what? That's kind of my favorite part too is because, you know, I could be talking to you or I could be talking to my 16-year-old son or I could be talking to an 80-year-old diehard that just really hasn't heard that angle before. And sometimes I just sit there and watch the game, you know? So I try to let the game play and then I try to just explain a little bit of what I see. You know, I was told to go to work don't look at a lot of notes tell us what's going on between those white lines that day at that time. And, uh, you know, it's not always easy, um, to, to get a lot of words in, to not get a lot of words in. But, um, I said something the other day and Danny looked over at me and he said, tell him why, like whispered, you know, like why? And I was like, Oh, light went on, you know, like people are wanting to hear what's going on. Yeah. Not just, Oh, that pitch is tough. You know, like, why is it tough? So, yeah, yeah, it's a lot. It's, it's, I think if you approach it that way, you kind of get a little bit more um, analytic about what's going on that we're watching. 
Well, we as that, fans appreciate it, honestly, because we love to sit and listen and we want the insider information. We want the deep <clears throat> stories. We want the justification why or why not. That's that's some of our favorite uh, reasons we watch or, or even listen to radio broadcast teams. Um, we choose them based on how much information we're getting. Do you guys watch football? Yeah. So my favorite analysts are um, now Tony Romo. I think he does a really nice job, which I didn't think he would. Yeah. Uh, and Chris Collinsworth. Yeah. And, he, and Chris Collinsworth is really good at explaining what's happening after or during, you know, like obviously he handed the ball off, but he talks about like you see a, a running back or a, or an offensive tackle push his block to the next guy and then move upfield to get this guy. It's why he sprung. It wasn't just the blockers on the line, right? It was because one guy did two different things that maybe he wasn't um, supposed to do. Yeah. But he did because he's so much better than everyone else. And I started watching the game in a different light. And it's pretty awesome. You know, you think about, mm -hmm. like, all the little things that you watch. And you're kind of like, I wonder why. Or you just don't even think of. And you see those guys on TV. And you're like, wow, that's interesting. You know, it's just yeah, another yeah. level. And you watch it at another level. And I think uh, Romo does a nice job. And that's the analyst. You know, I love listening to Joe Buck. But when you see him in Troy Aikman, you see him take the game to that next little thing and they do such a nice job with their tv because they can really get highlights quickly and and, and replays and i think it's pretty cool and so yeah. I, that's kind of, I feel like trying to get to the next level yeah <clears throat> that's awesome um but speaking of kind of having like the inside i mean you're a player we we weren't i peaked in high school as far as baseball is concerned <laughs> um but we had a big brawl this weekend in anaheim between seattle and, and la i guess you can call them we call them anaheim still but yeah, me too. <laughs> good. Right. Let's call me with this. good to know. That's yeah. good to know. Um, Don't let Artie hear that, though. <laughs> the thing we're curious about, though, like, is there ever actual, like, any actual rage in a base brawl, or is it just mostly pent up frustration? Like, both teams had really been struggling up to that point. Yeah. And then there was the whole thing with Mike Trout Saturday night, you know? So, like, were they legitimately, like, mad at each other or is it just like we got to get this out of our system well i think it's emotions and i think um you know you don't like to be thrown at and so one guy you know and you feel it in the dugout when that's going on you don't necessarily want to fight no one wants to get hurt but you know there's two ways to look at it there's the one guy who's pissed you know pitcher's just doing what he sold um the guy's getting thrown at he's mad catcher's sticking up for you know, his pitcher. And then you might have other guys in the dugout on the other side that have been thrown at. They're pissed. But then you'll get a couple guys that are like grown up fighting or, you know, you know, you get a couple of the guys that are, um, you know, just don't have any etiquette and they might go take cheap shots and, and or a guy that is really mad might keep fighting. And so that makes other guys mad and then they get in there to break it up and guys start swinging and other guys take you know, see a bad angle and think someone's, you know, and it just kind of it spills over. And then once tempers flare, you know, it's hard to back down. So that's normally why you see a lot of pushing and shoving. And, and very rarely do you see the um, extended version like you did the other day. But I think that's just, you know, there's some teams that are really um, adamant about sticking up for each other. And then there's some teams that might have a different um, group of people that have been, you know, in that kind of background where they don't mind fighting. And so you never know what's going on. I've been in a few where there's been some punches thrown and I've been in a few where nothing's been thrown and then a sucker punch was thrown and then all heck breaks loose. So, um, yeah, there's a kind of, I mean, you, you know, there's a, there's a dynamic to most of them. 
And usually it's just like one guy is just protecting another guy. And then, but if there's a group of guys that are getting hit and one guy maybe just doesn't realize that, Hey, it's your turn. You're getting payback. And then he takes exception. There's like eight guys over there going, well, what about us? You know, like, and so basically people are just yelling out of the dugout. You hardly ever see what happened, which is, um, what, uh, what they did, um, uh, Jesse Winkler kind of went that way, you know, and so I didn't really see a whole the detail of it, but I did see the fight. It was pretty hairy. Yeah, it was it, pretty hairy. Was, yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. <clears throat> well, we've we've started seeing. I mean, this happens all the time. We see clubhouse dynamics and chemistry kind of bleed out into the dugout, and guys fight with each other in the dugout, and tempers rise and frustrations get out of hand was there ever a guy in your career that you were like oh man this guy like i don't want to just just can't stand seeing this guy whether he's in my bench or the other bench it doesn't matter well there's always guys that irritate you right um but i think that um we've done a really nice job of keeping our our team kind of in check and i think that the one thing that the cardinals do is they you know you establish the veterans and they kind of have the rule um and I think that guys follow suit because we have a bunch of professionals and, you know, I, I would imagine that there's can be some guys that maybe take that role a little too far. Or, you know, we've had a, a couple of cases I've heard where, you know, one guy's picking on another guy and they finally had enough. And, you know, I think that uh, you saw the thing with um, uh, in Philly a couple of years ago with um, I think of Bryce Harper, you know, yeah. and, you know, guys, some older guys take exception to guys maybe not hustling or guys doing a certain thing. And if the player, the younger player has a chip on his shoulder, you might get a, you know, you might get a talk back and it just depends on who you're talking to. But we've never really had that here in St. Louis as long as I've been here. And still to this day, it's pretty good. So really good chemistry is important. And I think this team right now has it in St. Louis uh, this year. And I think it's interesting to watch. It's fun because I'm on the plane with them every night traveling and it's pretty cool to watch because they're good kids. Yeah. We talk That's about awesome. St. Louis a lot and how it's just yeah. their perennial successes. And they they just – they win. They just know how to win baseball games, and they, they win all the time. And it's yeah. awesome. It's, it's a culture. You know, it really is. It's like the Yankees. Um, I think that, you know, they, they build culture. They're building it in L.A. right now again. Um, you know, I, I think even though when you don't win, you build this um, culture of baseball and, and, and athletes that respect each other, respect the game, play hard, and you're going to get good results, especially if you – I think I was saying this the other day. The culture is hard to build when you do what some of these teams do is you never keep any of your veterans. So you don't have anyone there older than, say, 26 to pass down. You know, you don't have a Molina, Wainwright – pool holes, even a carpenter, you know, to pass down what they've been taught in that organization. And when you look at like a Pittsburgh or say even a Tampa Bay or um, a couple other places, like the one thing they're missing is that they have good players, but the culture is different because they don't have a 37 year old, 35 year old, 33 year old guy who's been there the whole time. Yeah. You know, they, you know, they tend the Marlins, they tend to pass those guys along when they can trade for other guys, which is great. But then you have now put together a group of kids from all over the country and all over the baseball. And so where's the culture? Very hard for the manager to be um, responsible for um, setting a culture with 25 different personalities. If there's not some guy or two or three 
in that locker room 24 seven, um, breathing that same culture. And so it, you know, the manager can't do it by himself and, and kids get tired of listening to it. So you've got to have players in there that are willing to replicate that same idea. Do you ever yeah. see that that's the rub between front office management and clubhouse dynamics is, does it start there? Because if, I mean, it, like you said, it would be hard for the manager to kind of keep the ship afloat if the front office is always making these changes for him. And so, yeah. Yeah. What do you do I, about that? You can't. And that, yeah. that, that's the, that's the problem is that's your culture. If you want culture, your front office has to understand it, you know, and our, and I think our front office has understood it for a long time. We have great ownership. Um, I know that when I was here playing Walt Jockety was our general manager, you knew he wanted to, he, he wanted to win and he cared about you. You know, he'd call you in the winter. He would ask you, do you, you played against so-and-so and so-and-so, which one of these guys would you want to have on your team? You know, that goes a long way with players. And then he comes down after games and says, hey, nice job, or hey, it'll be all right, or I know you're playing hard, don't worry about it. And you you can feel that, you know. Yeah. It helps when you don't just have the manager on your side and you can see the general manager and the owner and different owners coming down and supporting. And it, it really does. It changes the way you feel about an organization. But I still believe, like I said, if you don't have – if you don't keep guys around um, it's, and you don't have a consistent managerial, you know, in group, it, it's very hard to build a culture over, you know, a 10 year window because you look at half these teams, they got, they don't have anyone on their team from five years ago, you know, let alone, you know, Wainwright from 14 years ago, you know, and Yachty. And um, I could see like Matt Carpenter was just here for 10 years. And, you know, if you don't have any of that, it's very hard to build a culture. Yeah, it. I I can't even imagine. Like, as somebody who doesn't play professional baseball, that's one thing that I looked for in a job is consistency and turnover. I mean, it, I feel like it's just anywhere you work. But as far as like oh, the culture find, of a team, you'll find that, and you'll find that in your own business, right? Yeah, if you yeah, were exactly. in a radio show and not doing your own podcast, you're always going to have somebody that doesn't believe in what you're trying to do or trying to push you into certain things, and you're just like, no, that doesn't work but this is what we want you to do. And you're just like, all right, like whatever. So yeah, yeah, exactly. In there. <laughs> Everyone the army for a long time. Jeez. So. Wow. <laughs> let's, let's take it to another level. Well, at least you have culture, right? You have like, they're Some. all going in the right direction. So. Yeah. <laughs> but as far as like teams with culture, like was there ever a team that was like on your radar? Like I would love to play for those guys or was there, or were there other teams you're like, I am not going anywhere near those guys. You tell your agent if they call, hang up, or just let it go to. I, I only did that twice or two teams, and I won't say who because of the weather and the ballpark. But other than that, no. And I was very blessed um, to just go from Anaheim to St. Louis. You know, I had no no um, choice, but I got thrust into something that couldn't couldn't be better. You know, it couldn't have been a better situation. Um, I'm still living here. I mean, you can see over my shoulder, you know, yeah. um, and it's just, uh, you know, it's amazing. Like I loved Anaheim. I grew up there. It was my home, but something about growing up and playing and, 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 and the, the different era of your life, you know, career, one thing, but life, um, as you get an adult, um, you get more, um, experiences. You know, I feel like, 
when you're playing and you're still in your 20s, you're not really getting it. You know, I feel like you watch some of these young kids, they come up early and I keep saying, oh, he's just 26. And that's always oh, been a bit. He's been in the leagues five years or four years. I'm like, it's not enough. You know, it's not it, the season goes by really fast. And unless you change things in the offseason, it's really hard to build um, as a player. And so I felt like I really grew between the years I was here and it really stuck with me. And then um, I don't know, you can kind of see behind me, you can see the I don't know how I point at it, but the Stanley Cup right there and like the the people here, you know, you get as Brett Hall with the Stanley Cup and just the friendships and the and the people here in St. Louis just made it so awesome. And so um, when I had kids, I, I stayed here and, um, you know, I'm happy here. We travel because the weather's not always great, but, right. uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just part of my life now. Yeah, that's awesome. that's awesome. My first duty station was Fort Leonard Wood, so. Oh, okay. about that. Yeah. yeah. That cold. Oh, it gets cold. Yeah. <laughs> it's hot too. That's true. That's true. So we want to talk for just a few more minutes about the minor league. Um, it's it's a grind. It's a it's really tough. And um, you know, obviously most guys don't make it out of the minor league. So is the system set up to make to help guys succeed? Is kind of a throwaway question, but I want an answer to it. But then the real question is. Is it worth it? Is it is the way it's set up and the, the system itself truly worth all of the grind and everything it takes from you? Well, I I, I think if I, I would have to look at it two different ways. So like when I went through the minor leagues, I didn't really know anything about the system. I mean, we're talking about late 80s, didn't even know anything about the draft. Um, and then that's just part of the system. I think now as guys get older, um, you start to see guys that are, you know, when you go through college, you don't stay in the minor leagues as long. They're looking for guys now to make an impact right away. I think the system has changed. So guys rush through faster, but also at the same time, it's a decent, now they can make a decent amount of money playing baseball, even if you don't get called up, you know, probably more than most guys will make, you know, changing tires or, you know, driving for UPS. I, I don't know, whatever it is. And, so, yeah, I, I think it can be worth the grind, but I think it's all in your own heart. You know, I don't know how guys do it for 11 years, 10, 11 years bouncing around. Um, you know, the travel even at the upper levels is by plane, but you're still getting up at four in the morning, traveling day of games. Um, it's not glamorous. You know, you're away from your family. It's hard to have a family when you're living in, you know, I played in Edmonton for you know, a couple months in Vancouver across the border again. And you know, we've got guys from California playing in Buffalo and where else in the world. So, um, yeah, I think it's not glamorous. I think it's changed a lot. Like I said, the guys, you're getting a lot of guys out of college now that kind of bounce right through and you're drafting arms, a lot of the arms and guys that are almost ready. And that's a big deal. So I don't think the grind is out there anymore unless you want it. But the one thing I did, um, realize as also teams draft to fill teams you know they're not always drafting to get a guy right to the big leagues they'll sometimes draft a team you know they're they're looking for two three left-handed hitters they're looking for pitchers they're looking for this yeah they are looking for the the one and two three round guys that are um, going to make an impact instantly but all the way down through they're looking to fill voids in the minor leagues and some of those guys just flourish and take off and some of those guys just fill the void to throw teams on the field for you know five and six years so um 
hopefully you recognize which one you are and, and you get a chance to, you know, move up. And if you don't, they kind of, it's like an age bracket. Like when you're above, you know, 23, you're not an A ball anymore. And if you haven't moved up, you know, you're probably not going to get a chance. And, you know, that same age now in double A, you know, it's like, oh, there's kids in the big leagues that are, you know, the majority of the kids in the big leagues now are 26 to 22. It's crazy. Every yeah. time I look at another kid, I'm like, he's 23, 22, 26. This guy's been around forever. He's 26. I'm like, yeah. So the game's a lot younger. Um, but I think the minor leagues is, you know, you have to go through it. You have to experience it. And you, uh, as a high school player, just pick. Are you going to go to college for three or four years? Or are you going to go, you know, or if you have the opportunity to sign for a lot of money that might change your life and go to the minor leagues or go to college, get an education that could change your life if you don't make it. So, you know, it's like anything else. I think you got to pick your path and what works for you. Um, I slept on some floors, on some buses. I slept in the, uh, when I was really uh, in the minor leagues early, I was still kind of small. And so I slept on the, uh, the overhead a luggage rack a couple of times. That stuff up there. <laughs> and I spent my 21st birthday on a bus from Palm Springs to Reno, Nevada for 14 hours. So, whoa, man. Uh, looking back, that was part of it. Yeah. And to get here, I was 17 when I got drafted. So to get here is what I needed to do. Um, because college wasn't, you know, didn't work for me. So I think it's cool. Yeah. I think it's, you know, it's all a story. Yeah. So as, as far as the route that guys take, would you recommend somebody go to the minor leagues instead of college? Or do you think that for some guys, college is the developmental route? As far as like take the education out of it, just strictly baseball development, which way would you recommend for somebody? I, I, think, it's, I think it's either way. I think um, I would look at it the other way is the education. Is the education for you? Is, are you the school type? You know, Because I think you'll get more baseball in the minor leagues because you're playing every day. You're getting almost as much baseball in college, but school is there, you know, so you have to juggle. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't say one or the other is better, but I also think that if you're not a school person, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the thing, right? You, if I don't want to go to college for three years and put in that work, then it's not for you because it definitely um, going to school now and, and, and skipping classes and getting fake grades is not out there anymore. You know, it's not that, that life and you got to keep up and, and do both and bring home homework and take stuff on the road and you're missing school and you got to catch up. So I think it's changed a lot. And I really think personality wise is can you handle school or not? That I think you're going to get developed. You're going to get developed both ways. I, I look at now one of the guys that I played double a with is now the head Stanford coach. Another guy that I played against my whole career is the Arizona coach. You know, it just, you go through and all these guys are ex big league players. They're going to teach you, you know, it's a, you know, yeah. look at Matt holidays that, Oklahoma, you know, yeah. as an assistant coach. And so you're going to get that. Um, you're going to get that knowledge one way or the other. It's just like I said, what, is school for you or not? Yeah, makes sense. Great. Last question for you. Um, not baseball related, actually. You're getting married and <laughs> you've decided to get married in Italy. So congratulations. First congratulations on your homework. <laughs> yeah. She just look at she just brought me this. Oh, you know wow. That? Nice. That's, I've been on the phone all morning, and so um, she knows I haven't eaten. And so, so why Italy? First of all, well, I've been married before, and she has not. And I just thought it, it, it feels different. It feels better. It feels right. And I said, "What would you like to do? Let's do something different." 
and we don't want a lot of people. So let's see how far can we go away where people won't want to go. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what's really crazy is a lot of people want to go. And I'm like, wait, you sure you want to go all the way to Italy? Um, I'd be like, twist uh, my arm, twist my arm. (laughs) I didn't realize that people like to go to Italy. So um, the other reason, too, is um, playing baseball, you don't, for me, I never really traveled. And uh, I've never been over there. I've never been to Europe. I've never been to Paris. I've never been to Italy. I've never been to Greece. You know, I've never seen anything. So it was kind of my introduction to, okay, it's time to start traveling over there. And why not? Let's check it out. And it's really funny. As someone said, if you're going to go to Italy in this area, we're, uh, Lake, she loves Lake Como. And so um, I know some people over there. And I said, where would you like to go? And her side and my side both said, stay at this hotel if you can. It's it's put, it's booked. It's going to be impossible, but this is where you want to stay. And it's like a friend of mine and George Clooney are good friends. And I said, can you ask him where he would stay? And he goes, well, I'm over there all the time with him, so I know what he's going to say. So uh, my fiance calls and, you know, we said, we, this is what we want to do. And they're like, yeah, we're booked. And we're like, we figured. And then they called back and said, we have one day open where you can have the whole weekend you know, one day to get married, but we have rooms this whole weekend. And, it, and we we're just like sold, Got you it. know, and it's like, awesome. so I went to my um, bosses at um, TV for, for Valley sports. And I said, okay, well, I have good news and bad news. And they're like, well, what's the bad news is like, well, I'm the good news is I'm getting married. The bad news is it's in the last two weeks of the season. Cause it's the only time we can do it. So <laughs> I need to quit working on September 20th. Oh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> and they were like, oh, no. And they were looking at me, and it was just at the time where um, Brad, it was just me and Brad from now on. And uh, they're like, okay, we got to check and see if Brad can work the last two weeks straight. <laughs> and I said, well, you're going to have to find somebody else if not. And uh, she just walked in and she's looking at me like, um, <laughs> so yeah, so it was all her choice. I gave her whatever. No, I'm kidding. Um, that's going to be fun. Smart man. Yeah. So we, yeah. we got the hotel and it's on the lake and uh, it'll be really special. That's awesome. Cool. That'll be really cool. Yeah. For real. Congratulations. Cool. For real. For real. <laughs> we both endorse marriage wholeheartedly. So yeah. we well, good. Then I can grow my beard out and like disappear. Right. That's right. There you go. You can hide yep. your hands. Yeah. I don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't think, uh, I don't think she would go for that. Just but thank you. Right now. Thank you so much again for coming on with us. We really appreciate having you, Jim. This was excellent, fantastic conversation. Um, was there anything you wanted to plug while you're on or anything like that? Or uh, No, not really. All um, right. Don't Listen have anything to plug. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Half the time. The Only when I'm working, not when Brad's working. Right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Get your <laughs> ratings you up. Yeah, when you write you that go. book, let us know and we'll have to have you come back on. Oh yeah, just that Steve, book. Yeah, whatever that book is. I'm actually been uh, I've been approached that it wasn't basically by um, about me. It was more about like what I would tell the younger me, and I thought hmm, might be an interesting concept. But I don't know. I'm not been a you know. I don't I don't really feel like I'm a about me kind of guy. So I'm just like I don't know if I want to like subject myself to you know, more people telling me I suck, you know, <laughs> I've already had enough of that for 17 years. So That's you stand out in center field in Chicago, New York, you'll hear it enough. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. But thank you again so much for having us. Um, hopefully we can have you back on another time. Anytime. Thank you.
Have a good day, you guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. thanks. Catch new episodes of the Baseball Together podcast every Tuesday.